Welcome to the Mavens Do It Better podcast. And now, your host, Heather Newman. Hello, everyone. Here we are again for another Mavens Do It Better podcast, where we interview extraordinary experts who bring a light to our world. I'm very excited to have Dr. Tammy Nelson, PhD, on the show today. She is a sex and relationship expert, a therapist. She's an author. She's a relationship therapist. You're a TEDx speaker. You're all the things. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So welcome and hi. Thank you. I like being all the things. Yeah, fabulous. And a big thank you to our uh, mutual friend, Tracy Talley, for connecting us. So, yay, Tracy. Tracy. Yeah. So you're here in, uh, are you still here in Los Angeles? You've been here all all the time? Is that where you're filming from today? Yeah, I'm in LA. Yep. Beautiful day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The only thing for me is that Orange Theory opened up their outdoor classes outside. And so all day long, I'm hearing... One more and three more and four more. <laughs> I was just like, seriously? You know? <laughs> oh my God. That's so annoying. You shut the window on that one uh, for sure. So, <laughs> anyway, but um, yeah, so, uh, so you have a fascinating job. Um, and I, as we were talking beforehand, uh, kind of busy right now, I would assume. Yeah. You know, with every week there's like a new plot twist of what's going on in the world and so people are understandably kind of stressed and, you know, sort of, we're sort of living in this, in this moment of uncertainty. So couples have been uh, home like during the pandemic or in lockdown, it's creating a lot of stress. So yeah. I do Zoom sessions and so I'm really busy. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, relationship wise, during something like this, where we are together all the time, are you getting... You're probably getting every shade, you know, but it's sort of like either people are together all the time and like, ah, or, you know, people are like, I need space or people are getting together because they just convenience and other things. Is there something that's, I don't know, it's probably all over. Is there anything that's typical right now or is it just? Well, people fall on one side or the other. Like they're either getting along better because they're finally spending time together and they're not complaining like you're never home, you're always traveling, you're always out, whatever. They finally have that like really good quality time that they want. On the other hand, that really good quality time is like enough already. Right. (laughs) Like I've had, I've been around you enough. So the things that would normally not bother you so much because you're out of the house and you have like other things to distract you. Right. are now like driving you insane. So the fact that, you know, your partner's leaving their socks on the floor or they don't do the dishes, like, you know, you're, you're busy at work, you're out in your life. It's like, whatever. By the time you get home, maybe it's taken care of it. Maybe it's not, but you've got like a lot of other things to think about. Right. And now like, you know, you just zone in on that dish in the sink. You're like, oh no, that's not going to stay there. <laughs> so, uh, so how does one uh, get, to where you are being, did you start in sort of couples therapy, but then it, is that always about sex therapy as well? Or we, we talk about where you came up in the world to work, to get where you are today. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've been doing, I've been a therapist for like 30 years, but I started off, um, I actually got, uh, my master's in art therapy. So I was an art artist for a long time. Gotcha. Um, and, 
You know, I had, I had a like mixed past. It took me a long time to get where I am. I'm in my late fifties. Mm-hmm. Uh, it took me 10 years to get my bachelor's degree. It took me, you know, I was already in a grown up when I went to graduate school. Mm-hmm. Um, I never had the experience of like living in a dorm or all the things that my kids have that I was able to give them. Um, But I worked with people who had sexual abuse or um, substance abuse or like I worked pretty much with everything. And then I got um, into couples therapy and I went to Imago Relationship Therapy, Imago therapy is a type of couples counseling. It was created by uh, Harville Hendricks, who wrote the book, Getting the Love You Want. Oh, okay, okay. He was one of Oprah's like 10 best shows or something. Right. He's been on Oprah, I think like 25 times. Wow. But the idea of Imago therapy was really intriguing to me because I was married to my first husband at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, we really need this. So we went to a weekend getting the love you want weekend of Imago therapy. And I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Like this is the kind of marriage that I want. And I want to be an Imago therapist. So I went and got trained as an Imago therapist, which takes a couple of years and a lot of angsting and crying on the floor about your childhood and bonding with other therapists. Cause you know, we do that for fun. We love that. Right. Absolutely. Sure. But my husband at the time was like, I said, isn't this great? Like we can have this deep conversations about, about our relationship. And he was like, oh my God, why can't you just be like a dental hygienist? <laughs> this is way too intense for me. Uh, yeah. So that didn't work out. And, um, but then, you know, I worked with couples for so long and I realized that, you know, Imago therapy, none of the training I got, I got, all these certificates, all these letters after my name, I was kind of obsessed with it. And they never talked about sex. Mm. And I I found that fascinating. Like, I was like, you you know, we're not working with roommates here. Like, how come, how come there's no graduate program about sex? I was just intrigued by that. Sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. No, that's, I think, I don't know. I, I feel like people were still very, secretive about sex i i think as a society and we certainly in relationships don't always talk about it you know so i guess how did you get the i love the um the, the talk will you talk about your ted talk yeah so i did a ted talk a tedx talk in bucharest and yeah. that was interesting too because by then I had gotten my, I got my doctorate in sexology and I've written a bunch of books. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote Getting the Sex You Want, which is using Imago therapy to talk about sexuality yep. because they never talk about sex. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, was certified as a sex therapist and I, my mission was to teach every therapist how to talk about sex to, to their clients so that they could talk about sex. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that people were also coming into therapy because they had not just like neglected their sex life and needed like some passion and aliveness, but because there was like some kind of trauma in their sex life, like infidelity or some kind of betrayal. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote the new monogamy, which is redefining your relationship after infidelity. And it's all about like, you can, you can sort of have a do over or reboot um, and you can pretty much heal from, almost anything if you have the skills. And so I, I think the people, the TEDx people knew my book and they asked me to come to 
Bucharest. It was like the 10 year anniversary there of them doing TED Talks. So it was a big event. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and so they wanted me to talk about the new monogamy. So I was like thrilled. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, do you feel like uh, the last few, I don't know, last few years, like the big, big shifts in like gender fluidity and sort of when we have sort of all of that coming up and traditional, you know, uh, I guess cis gender roles and all of that, those things like being looked at and talked about more, especially sort of from a millennial perspective. I don't like the word millennial, but, but that sort of age group perspective, how do you think that's affected people in their relationships and monogamy, I guess? Well, I think we're in the age of a more open monogamy. That's my next book that's coming out in 2021. Yeah. Sounds true. I, I think that open monogamy is like an agreement that you have with your partner to be more flexible and fluid about the whole conversation right. and not to be so traditional. I think that's because of people coming up now in this generation who, you know, who whose parents got divorced or had affairs or, you know, lived through that kind of trauma. And they're saying now, you know what, I'm not going through that again. And they sort of honor and understand that you can, you know, you can love a lot of people and you can be attracted to a lot of people. And that doesn't necessarily take away from the relationship you have and you don't have to lie about it. And maybe, maybe trading your partner in for somebody else isn't the answer either. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Do you find, I mean, I found that I went through, went through a divorce uh, as well, was married a long time, 23 years and in, in a relationship now. And uh, I just, I feel like the, the most work a lot of times that we don't do is the work that we need to do on ourselves, you know? Well, I think the hardest thing to do is to be married. I mean... <laughs> You know, we always marry someone that we're totally fundamentally incompatible with. Like, that's totally what marriage is about for everyone across the board. But you do that for like a spiritual reason. Like you do it because you are looking to heal a part of yourself or grow Mm -hmm. a part of yourself. Like you have a shadow that you project onto someone else and you're like, God, you're so annoying. You're so messy. You're so obnoxious. But that's really the part of us that we don't want to look at, you know, like, I would, I'll leave all the cabinet doors open and focus on that glass in the sink. And he's looking behind me like, really? <laughs> Did you see the mess you left behind you? That swath of disaster? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, but I don't see my stuff. Right. And so relationships are, are like a way to work on your stuff that you can't really do on your own. Like, yes, you should do your own work, but I sort of think about think of it as like a bridge where I have my side of the bridge where I have to do my stuff right. and they have their side of the bridge where they have to do their stuff. And then the hard part sometimes is like, how do you meet on the bridge? Right. Cause that's where the, you know, that's where your sexuality is together and your communication and you know, how, how are you, how are you as roommates? All that stuff is how do you show up on the bridge and where do you meet on the bridge? And, do you run back to your side of the bridge or do you take over the whole bridge? Are you burning it down? Like, what are you doing on the bridge? Right. I feel like I'm like a horn section. Let's take it to the bridge. Right. You know, <laughs> like, a, like a good James Brown song. I don't know. Segway. Yeah, totally. Um, wow. So uh, in coming up and then doing the TED talk, so have you uh, had you, how, how long have you had your own practice? I guess. Um, I've been in 
private practice for about 25 years because my son, my oldest son is like 24. So yes, over like 25 years, I've been seeing people in my private practice on all kinds of people. Yeah. How, how do the, speaking of children, how, how do the kids feel about you being a sex therapist? If you don't mind me asking, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, when they were younger, I remember my son being like, mom, can you just tell people like you're a regular therapist? <laughs> but now they're older. Like my youngest is in college and she's like, can you please send me like three copies of getting the sex you want? Cause my friends want to read copies. I- Yes, right. So it's become much, a bit more popular than Yeah, that. they all brag about me. If I have like a, a press thing or something, something in a magazine, like my older stepdaughters will post it all over social media. They're, they're like my biggest fans now. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that's super cool. And you have a podcast as well. You want to tell everybody about that? Yeah, the podcast is The Trouble With Sex. And, you know, I interview experts or authors or sex workers or somebody every week somebody in the field of sex and talk about what they think the biggest trouble with sex is and what they think the answer is so it's fascinating all range of people it's really fun you know you know what it's like to interview people on a podcast yeah i i uh i listen as well i've been checking yours out and i've been listening to uh sex with emily as well like she's hilarious um and does a good job although i look on twitter and like when people are asking sort of these super personal questions i was like i don't know if i can talk about that you know in, <laughs> in a poll or something sort of outwardly um on twitter you know um where people are asking sort of you know to poll questions on like what do you think about xyz and you're like mm, i don't know if i can do that all the people that i work with are going to see that you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> A little bit, probably not. Um, but yeah, so, and you rarely, you know, so you've been speaking and you've got a book coming out. Like, how do you find time to take care of you and your own, all of your life, you know? Well, I think that's why I moved to LA because I was living in Connecticut for years. That's where we raised our kids. And, um, you know, the last big ice storm where we had to take a blowtorch to get the key in the lock of our cars because there was so much ice on the outside of the car. And then we lost power for a week and you know, it's, there's no like heat or electricity. So you can't flush a toilet there because everything's on well water. I was like, you know what? I am not cut out to be a pioneer woman. I'm too old for this. I never want to shovel my car out again for the rest of my life. And so, you know, I've been in Santa Monica. Now I'm in, in, in LA um, for about a year and a half. And I, you know, this is taking care of myself, like living in the sun, (laughs) you know, like not, not having to suffer. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I lived in the Pacific Northwest for a really long time, so I get you, you know, beautiful. love it up there, but yeah, I'm a fan of the sunshine. I've really gotten used to the LA life, um, for all about that. So, yeah. Um, I love the the beach. It's beautiful. I love to be able to be outside all year long and, you know, and never have it freeze. (laughs) I mean, the fires suck, you know, that's kind of cataclysmic and you can't really, you can't really forget about sort of, you know, Armageddon that's happening around you. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a total bummer. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it's a beautiful place. Yeah. It's yeah, it is a beautiful place and it's, you know, full of all kinds of, people and just opportunities and all of that. I mean, obviously we're in this 
bizarre time, you know, with, with our pandemic and, you know, this week, almost the election and everything else that's going on in the world. <laughs> it's like, okay. It's crazy. We'll try and get outside a little bit and do some walking around for sure. So, yeah. Um, so, you know, with if, if someone uh, sort of really generically, like, I guess, Top top advice for uh, couples with their to spice up their lives um, without a whole lot of knowledge about them. Is there something that you can toss out to our to our listeners? Um, something to help spice up a maybe a sort of a humdrum sex life for them? Yeah, my suggestion is to have a sex date every week. Now, people sometimes say, "Well, that's not spontaneous." I'm like, you know what? If you want to sweep the dishes off the kitchen table and say, Oh my God, take me now and, yeah. be, <laughs> and be impulsive. You could do that. That's impulsive sex. That's not spontaneous sex. Yeah. Right. I think if you set up a sex date the same time every week, the same night mm -hmm. and you treat it like it's a sacred thing, like yoga or meditation, you show up, you light some candles, right. not tea party sex. Like it's not like, Oh my God, this is, this is so you know sweet. <laughs> It, but it's sacred as something separate. Like it's dedicated an hour a week to the two of you, to your erotic life. And you show up, whether there's something better on Netflix or, or you're mad at each other, or you haven't taken a shower. Like you show up, you take a shower, you dress up. If you've been in lockdown or in the pandemic, you know, put on some shoes, <laughs> you know, like really do it up. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, and like have that time together. You don't have to, you know, if you're a heterosexual couple, you don't have to have penis and vagina sex. Just show up and, you know, see what happens. Talk to each other. Make that time sequestered and focused. Because if you do that on a regular basis, what happens is you get like anticipatory eroticism that kicks in. We start to look forward to it. Even if your head's like, oh, totally don't want to do it this week. Your body's going to be like, yeah, but I do. <laughs> I remember that from last week and I liked it or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our body has like a neurological pathway that remembers pleasure much right. more than it remembers pain. So we're going to go, yeah, I want that again. Yeah. I, there was a quote from one of your podcasts that I really like that, um, that was talking about the need to rename foreplay, uh, that foreplay is not the appetizer of sex. It's the main course. I, Amen. Will you talk a little bit, a bit about that as well for our listeners? Well, yeah, I think, you know, foreplay is like somehow just the precursor to intercourse. Yeah. And it's interesting because, first of all, we assume that all couples are heterosexual couples where there's penis and vagina sex. Mm -hmm. And secondly, that that is somehow the appetizer, not the real deal. And Third, it's very focused on what women, quote unquote, need and that men shouldn't need it, like which is not true at all. Like men need touching and caressing and um, they need a workup to those levels of arousal before they get to the, you know, to the final ending, whatever that is. And it really sort of implies that sex is like a performance, you know, and that the ultimate success is getting to the finish line, which is usually the male ejaculation. Right. And it'd be great if we could turn that conversation around to like, okay, what, what if it was just about pleasure? Like, this is just about pleasure date and how much pleasure can we squeeze out of this, <laughs> this time that we have together? And yeah. that's the only goal. Like, that would be awesome. Yeah. Well, and so much is 
is the focus on orgasm, be it male or female, or that it's got to be this like, like the, the crashing of the symbol crescendo thing, I think. Especially at a time like this, I'm like I, I would assume that maybe even just for couples that are it together, that you know, like there's a lot of people who aren't with somebody else right now and aren't getting the, the that just that simple physical touch. If you're you know one of the love languages, if you're up there with the physical touch, it's tough for folks right now. I would assume that you're talking to on a regular basis on both sides potentially. Yeah. Yeah, I think people have like a skin hunger in general. Like, you know, the fact that you can't like hug people, you can't shake hands when you see people, when you meet someone new. Like, I, I kind of miss that, you know, giving people a kiss on the cheek. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the normal way that we would satisfy some of that desire for touch and just to like exchange smells. We're like mammals, you know, like we want to smell people. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think I was just uh, down with my folks uh, last weekend. It was the first time I was sort of, I wasn't really out and about because we were masked and socially distancing, but it was a moment where somebody, their friend who knows me, they were like, hi, and I was like, stop, you know, and I, was like, I felt like it was like the night of the living dead. And I was like freaking out. And I just felt like a jerk, you know, because I was like, no, I love you, too. And I would love to hug you. But we can't I can't do that right now. You know, um, so there's just a lot of that kind of emotional blah, that that is just in our world right now, I think, about what to do, what not to do and how to do it right or making sure we're safe and and all of that. Um, Sad. Yeah. It is. It is sad. Um, do you, I mean, I think, I think sex is also about practice. Like, you know, <laughs> like, right. Like trying things out and like, do you have ex- like exercises you give people through your therapy for different things? I'm sure there are. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, a sex therapy is pretty behavioral. Like there's a lot of exercises. If you have some kind of sexual dysfunction, there's ways we can fix it. Mm. A lot of sex problems at their root are really about anxiety. Mm. You know, a lot can be cured if you're not anxious. <laughs> you know, erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation, yeah. um, and anorgasmia, like the inability to orgasm. Like a lot of that stuff, if it's not medical, if it's not because you're on medication, a lot of it is anxiety. And so being able to... Um, be hyper aware of pleasure, what that means, you know, being really mindful, taking it slow, backing it way down. Right. Yeah. All those things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I talk a bit about um, the, the fear narrative um, that we, that then our lizard brain that we have running through our heads and talking about how to combat that. Um, I mean, I don't know with the, with the level of stress that's happening right now and the, what if, what if, what if, I mean, when we, when we are see, a problem comes to us, we're like, okay, I'm going to deal with it. Right. But do you find that it's just that, that, that whole stress worry narrative is taking over for so many people right now? Is that just. Well, everyone's stressed. If you're not stressed, there's something pathological about you. <laughs> like I said, I don't care how like well-adjusted spiritual you are. Like the world is stretched like a rubber band right now. It's so tight. Yeah, right. All it takes is just a little ping yeah. for people to freak out. Like if normally if the outside world is like pretty okay, then, you know, it takes a lot to stress you out. But everything is, you know, the tension is high. Yeah. And if you don't feel it, it means you're sort of out of touch or in wicked denial, which 
God bless you. If that works for you, that's great. But it's also, it's not teaching you how to deal with, you know, the high stakes that we're living in these days, because who knows what the new normal is and, and how long this is going to last or if this is forever. Yeah. So it's really important to understand how you deal with stress and um, what your skill set is and what your, um, what your, your, like sort of the bad coping skills that you have, the negative coping skills. Yeah. You know, are you like drinking too much, which most people are? Are you eating too much, which a lot of people do? You know, like what is what what are you doing that you could maybe attribute to stress and anxiety that, you know, isn't really serving you? Maybe you could like tweak that a little bit, but yeah. not beat yourself up. Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. In the for the book, um, you have uh, not only the new monogamy, the book, but you have an agreement in there. Will you talk about that a little bit, too? Yeah, so the monogamy agreement is something that, you know, we make it this explicit agreement when you get married or you have some kind of committed partnership. But the words that you speak out loud aren't always the implicit assumptions that you're going to make about your relationship. You know, like, yeah, we're getting married, but I know I can get out of it. You know, like everybody knows you could get divorced. It's not like a secret. It's not that you don't go to divorce prison if you... If you leave a marriage, like there's a lot of assumptions about um, about what a marriage is supposed to look like or what a partnership is is supposed to serve for you. So a monogamy agreement is a way to have a conversation about, okay, well, this is not our grandparents' monogamy. Like this, we're going to live a lot longer than generations before us. So we're going to have to figure out what does this mean? Like we don't have to get married, like we don't have to get married to have kids. We don't have to get married to buy a house. We don't have to get married to, you know, get health insurance. Like the reality is marriage is optional. Mm -hmm. And so is monogamy. Monogamy is totally optional. It's a choice. So let's design it in the way that works for the two of us or the three of us or five of us or whatever. Mm -hmm. Let's have the conversation so that it's not just implicitly assumed that it's going to be the same as our grandparents Right. assumed it was because obviously that didn't work out very well because half of those people got divorced yeah. so let's agree let's talk about what is on the monogamy continuum so on one end it's like you know how do you feel about flirting with other people how do you feel about you know what's private and what's secret like do you right. talk about masturbation pornography and then all the way on the other end of the spectrum the far end is like are we going to be sleeping with other people together, alone, polyamorous, like where do we fall on that agreement? And by the way, you got to revisit that all the time because we change and grow as people and we develop in a relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think people, I don't, I don't see people talking about those things as much. You just sort of make assumptions, dive in and you're like, you know, even if you're in a committed relationship, sometimes like I've, I've talked to girlfriends and other things about it. It's like, how do you, one person will be fine with a, like a, I don't know, somebody's eyes trailing somebody as they walk because they find them attractive and somebody else will be like, what the, fuck? you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right, exactly. Like, I'm going to flip the table on that. And um, <laughs> yeah, and, and it is interesting that, that we, I, I don't think our impulse is to talk about that stuff with each other. I mean, it's not my natural impulse to be like, is that okay with you? What do you think? Or, or did that make you mad or whatever, you know, like it's not. We're not taught to talk like that about it, I don't think, at all. No, and and 
interestingly, the more you make these things a talk aboutable thing, yeah. the more the more freedom you have in the relationship, even if it's the freedom to shut it down, even yeah. if it's the freedom to say, yeah, I, I don't like it when you check out other people with me. Like that makes me super uncomfortable. The, the reality is the more you can talk about those things, the more potential there is for closeness and connection and understanding. And, you know, you feel like, wow, we are, we could talk about anything. Like we're really on the same page, which means we could talk about stuff before it goes wrong. Yeah. Which is the whole point, right? It's preventative. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's the thing, I don't know, in some of my own relationships learning about, I, I don't want to call it honesty, but I want to call it just openness, I guess, you know? Like and transparency. Yeah, yeah, transparency. Yeah, all of that. Because it's like, you do, you're like, eh, that kind of bugged me, but I'm not going to talk about it or whatever, you know? Like, And, and then all of a sudden you're like, there's this giant hill, mountain that's been made and you're like, Rah! like you were saying, like the pile of stuff over there that you made, I'm going to, you know, and mm-hmm. um, I don't know, maybe I'm getting, you know, smarter as I get older, just. <laughs> You've listened to a lot of podcasts. Apparently. Yeah, I have listened to a lot of podcasts. I really, you know who else I really, um, I liked, I like some of the codependency books and the, like the, the, how the, some of the that kind of narcissist codependency, like that kind of information things as well, books and different things about that, not naming any other authors while we're on. But like some of that stuff I think is helpful to have people understand those types of relationships too. Cause I think we, we, get, we get into sometimes an enablement situation where you're enabling bad behavior, you know? Um, that never happens in relationships, right? <laughs> <laughs> she's like I don't know if I want to go there <laughs> but yeah no I, I find that I find that stuff kind of interesting um so your new book uh when is that supposed to come out ish it's not coming out till next year next year okay yeah and I'll I'll definitely be back on your podcast when it comes out to tell everyone that's awesome. Um, yeah, and, and and is that one uh, more? Is that all all from you, or, or or interviews, or does it all come from sort of your work as well, or do you? I, I know you don't name names, I'm sure, but like, is it from sort of all the the things that you're doing? Like, where where does where does the where does the meat come from from that for you? Um, so the open monogamy the new book it is really a reaction to a lot of people who read the new monogamy which is redefining your relationship after infidelity who said well can't we do this too like can't can't we have a mon- um, new monogamy can't we have a relationship agreement do we have to have an affair first does things have to fall apart before right. that happens mm-hmm. and so you know this publisher was like no let's write the book about you know about creating that monogamy agreement for everyone. Mm. So you don't have to be in a crisis before you reevaluate your relationship. So I actually interviewed um, probably about 16 couples or pods of people in relationship. And I talk about their stories and how they handle their open monogamy agreement. And then I give people sort of exercises or ways to bring up the conversation, ways to talk about it, how to shut it down if it's not working, mm-hmm. what it what's going to work for you specifically in your situation and what it might look like uh, once you do it. Wow. 
Yeah, no, that's super cool. Um, I was also so looking through some of the podcasts. You have you have such great people on. It's so cool. Um, how long have you been doing the podcast? Um, well, we're just about to record our fourth season. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, we have some cool people. I've definitely gotten better at it. It's a skill set. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, so when you first started, like your first one, were you just like, ah, you know, <laughs> how'd it go for you? No, you know, when, when I first started, it was super clinical. We didn't, I don't think we edited as well as the ones we had have edited now you know we had a different producer and um it was much more clinical and academic you know they sort of call us the npr of sex podcasts and i think it was just too heavy on the information the guests were brilliant right and it it was fun but you know i've been interviewing you know experts for years and years in different different platforms but I wanted this to be a little lighter and so as we've gone on we've gotten a little more personal a little lighter I think they're funnier I think they're better I think they'll just keep getting better yeah absolutely well four seasons in yeah we're we're about it uh actually this week well this is our second season so yeah it's been fun learning the equipment and I don't know just sort of finding your way and interviewing people and and all of that but I like do you do you do um video as well for for them anywhere no we just do audio do audio yeah I know, we started doing video for a while and it was like it's kind of fun seeing people's faces <laughs> I agree I like that I think it's awesome yeah it's kind of fun plus you can do little clips and stuff from it too um I I was really interested in the one that you the episode 31 understanding adult ADHD relationships and sex life I think you know I don't know working in tech I think I know more people who have things like (laughs) um, than anybody um uh how what was that what was that conversation like and what are some of the tips around you know dealing with that I think that's a that's a big mental um like issue for a lot of people um I don't know tips and tricks yeah, that's Ari Tuckman who wrote ADHD After Dark. He talks about, you know, having um, having sex with someone who's got ADD or if you are an ADD or ADHD and, you, um, and you're struggling in your sex life. I mean, it's not just like, oh, squirrel, like I'm in the middle of having sex and I like it's, there's a shiny object. And I, right, right. You know, it's more... Um, People who have ADD, I have adult ADD, and it's actually served me quite well in my life because I have a lot of different interests. I can, you know, I'm very expansive. I can do 17 things at once. The downside of that is I don't finish everything. You know, I do it to like 80%, and I'm like, okay, that's done. Um, But, you know, that's kind of typical of people with adult ADD is that they tend to be super creative and have a lot of ideas. Mm -hmm. And so they might act that out in bed, too. Like they might always be like pushing you to do something new and uh, let's try this and let's try that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or the opposite could be true. They could get bored easily or distracted. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And are you I, I know that you have a podcast that uh, addresses social justice. Are you do you do work in that realm as well um, about, you know, about sex education and politics and that kind of stuff? Um, I'm really dedicated to the idea of reproductive justice. I'm really upset about the Supreme Court. I'm super freaked out about um, uh, women's right to abortion and to our bodies. I'm so out of my mind about. about people trying to take us back like 50 or 100 years and so I'm really dedicated to supporting experts in the field who are talking about 
look, people like pay attention. This is not something that you can sit back and relax about. Like this is important stuff happening. And I feel like these are, these are women who, you know, I've interviewed and actually we have a class coming up on reproductive justice, like big attorneys and people who've written books on Roe versus Wade and people who are on the ground working at abortion clinics and people who counsel women. And, you know, a lot of it is sex ed and a lot of it is also knowing your rights and where, and knowing our history, you know, it's like abortion is not going to stop just because somebody says, some guy says it's against the law. It's just going to get harder, more dangerous. And, you know, it's going to be worse for people who can't access it. So, uh, you know, it kills me. I feel like, I feel like we've come so far as women and as healers and as therapists or intuitives or wherever you fall in that spectrum, right. you know, yeah, I mean, they can't, they can't burn us anymore. That's a plus, <laughs> but you know, they're trying hard to take away all our other rights as human beings. And that, that's so bothersome. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, there's so much right now that trying to keep a pulse on and an eye on and, and keep educated and, you know, keep up on what's happening. And it's a, it's, it's overwhelming, but, but worth every moment to stay vigilant, as they say, I think, you know, right now and educating each other. And, and, you know, I love, I love, you have a beautiful Instagram account where you're putting all kinds of great things up and inspirational stuff and also where to get information. And I think that's, thank you for doing that one, you know, thank you. Absolutely. No, I think it's really, really cool. Um, how you you just, you're spanning so many different things and you ever sleep. Oh, I love to sleep. Trust me, but I go to bed early. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've I've gotten so I'm more I'm doing that more. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I'm out by like nine thirty. I'm like yeah. done. <laughs> I try to stay up and watch Netflix, and then I'm like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, like okay, let's talk. Talk, talk to me about how you feel about lube and sex toys. How about that? Well, you can never have too much lube. I don't think. I mean, you know. What do they say? The wetter, the better. Like, I think lube is not for, you know, just postmenopausal women. Like, everyone should use lube. Lube is fun now. It used to be that it gave you urinary tract infections and it had too many smelly, Mm. weird things in it. Now it's, you know, you can buy lube that's all natural and all organic, has no, nothing, no additives or anything. Much better for your body. Yep. And the sex toy industry too has changed. I mean, the um, the sales of sex toys have gone way up since the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the sex toys now are made, designed, distributed by, marketed by, and for women. So they don't look like big giant penises with veins in them anymore. <laughs> like they're really cute and pretty and you can put them on your bedside table. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, um, Vesper. Totally fun. Like just, you know, not to like give endorsements and stuff, but there's like, it's like, I've seen so many neat things coming out and you're like, okay, right on. So yeah, I would imagine that, uh, that makes sense that the sales are up on those kinds of things for sure. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, if there was uh, something that like has surprised you, just, just totally like, you're like, wow, that you could talk about with our listeners sort of in your field that what's been happening as of, as of later the last year, is there anything that you were like, didn't, see, I mean, there's so many things like didn't see that one coming, but something that really stands out. 
I don't know. Um, I didn't see Trump getting elected. <laughs> that, that's, that stands out as like the last four years of like, wait, what? <laughs> What's happening? Yeah. Fair. And, yeah. And that really does affect the world of psychotherapy, you know, because one of the, the one of the problems is that if you um, have a certain political affiliation that seems like it's sort of cult like and in denial about women's rights or the rights of homosexuals or other freedoms that should be. Uh, sort of allotted to us as human beings, and you're really rigid about that. I don't see that as a political issue. I see that as a mental health issue. Hmm. I also think it's symptomatic of growing up, uh, perhaps in an abusive home where you're taught to follow your, you know, your abusive dad no matter what he says. Hmm. And I think it's another reaction to stress. So you were talking about stress before. The fight, flight, or freeze response is hmm. pretty normal. People do one or the other. But I've also seen. Um, in the past four years in particular, a fawn, a fawning response. So it's, you know, fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. And it's this, it's this, usually women who like fawn over some guy who's really abusive and inappropriate as they're backing out of the room as a way to like mitigate the abusive situation. And I've seen that a lot in this presidency and a lot of women who, are like cult-like following someone who's who's telling them to their face, like, I'm going to grab you and I'm going to hurt you <laughs> and I'm not going to care who you are and this is not going to be good for you. And they're like, okay, yeah. all right. And I think that fawning is an interesting, an interesting response to stress and it's also indicative of where our culture is as far as gender roles and that, you know, they they have to change. Like we're all, we're all on the verge of something that's about to blow us apart or bring us together. Yeah. I feel that for sure. Yeah. I think you're on, you're obviously on point. You had a PhD and all kinds of things. You're wicked smart about all of this stuff. Yeah. I've, but I feel that too. I feel like um, also just the the continuous, you know, I, I have friends that are, both Republican and Democrat and everything. And, you know, a lot of the time, and I could talk to just about all of them, you know, but it is, there's like, there's shame on different sides of different things, depending on where you are on the spectrum of your politics and, and where, and where you've grown up and how you, you know, are like so many men with the Me Too movement were like, I don't know what to do. Can I even flirt with you? And then, and just like that, and then layered on top of, you know, all of what's been going on, you know, with police and all of that other stuff, you know, people, I think people just, one, it's like, just don't be a jerk, one, and, but two, it's like, people are so afraid to make mistakes right now, so they don't do anything, so there's that freeze, I guess, that might be part of that, what you were talking about as well, but I haven't, yeah. I haven't heard of the fawning, the fawning stuff, that's really frightening. Mm-hmm. Well, just watch the news. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, I mean, I, now that you say that and put a word to it, I'm like, oh, I've seen that. Like, I know exactly what you're talking about now. Right. Exactly. Wow. Wow. Well, I think there's also a new masculine that's rising to the surface to sort of combat the toxicity that's been there for a long time. Like mm-hmm. I've seen men, you know, start to gather and support each other and yeah, um, be more communicative and, you know, yeah. There's definitely a push for people to change in good ways. Yeah. 
I've seen also just a lot of men standing up for, you know, it's that moment when you're like, you know, you see something, you say something, you know, that, that people are like, oh, no, no, that's not how we talk to each other. Or, mm-hmm. no, this person needs to speak, you know, that, stop interrupting. Or, you know, just all of those things that people sometimes think are like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. I'm like, you know, actually it is. It means something, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, it's kind mm-hmm. of like how a handwritten thank you note, I still think means something. <laughs> <laughs> so you think I should write you a handwritten note after this? I'm going to write you one, girl, you know, okay. <laughs> for sure. Um, wow, you. I, thank you so much for, uh, there's so much to talk to you about, um, about all of this stuff, and you have such a wealth of information. Um, uh, so uh, everybody, uh, the, pod, her, the podcast, Dr. Tammy's podcast is amazing, so you have to check it out. She's got all these great books, and maybe this is a time where we, you know, it's that great pause that everybody's been talking about or the reset or whatever. And, you know, so like if you're having moments with relationships and your own sexuality and all of that, you know, like there's great resources and books and a wonderful person here who is so smart on these subjects and has Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all of the things so that you can, and you haven't asked Dr. Tammy, right? Yeah. And, um, I also would like to offer your listeners, if they want, if they email me and tell me that they heard me here, I'll give them a free, like I have this handout, it's like a worksheet of like 37 questions for your new monogamy agreement. It's a great thing to like start the conversation without having to buy the books and yeah, awesome. Yay. Okay. That's super cool. Well, I'm going to set you up with the last question um, that I always ask everybody. And I'm super interested in moments and sparks in our lives. Um, What brings us to where we are seated in the moment of today? So could you share one uh, with our listeners, person, place, or thing, just a spark that you're like, today, here, brought you here? Um, you know, I was really inspired by Melinda Gates, who's Bill Gates's wife, who wrote The Moment of Lift. And because it's all about women sort of gathering their energy and getting ready to take over the planet. And I don't know about you, but I could feel it. And I feel a little hesitancy now. Like, I feel like they're a little blocked and depressed and stressed and exhausted. But I, I feel like the energy is there. And that gave me a lot of comfort in a time in my life where I was sort of given up on the whole goddess thing. I was like, where are you? <laughs> like, what happened? I was totally into you. And I thought you were like supporting me. And, and, but you know, when I realized that, that there is sort of this universal feeling of, Oh no, it's coming. We're rising. I, I felt much better. You know, I went to the women's March in Washington uh, with my daughter who was 16 at the time. And, you know, I felt that power on that, on that march and how many women were there. And it was intense. Yeah. I was there with you. Yeah. It was great. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. It was a moment for sure in my life as well. And that book is terrific. I mean, she's amazing. And that book is amazing. I, I, I'm with you. I, I, uh, I, I go, I go from moments of being like, I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to like, I'm going to wiggle it like this and do it within the confines of stuff. And then other times I'm like, ah, I'm a Valkyrie, you know, like, <laughs> right. You know, where I'm just like enough, you know, um, but like that scares the crap out of people, <laughs> you know, but just go up, <laughs> right. You know, don't be scared. Yeah. Yeah. But you I should be scared. Be very afraid. <laughs> 
I, I do feel it. I do feel the the sisterhood, and I feel that rising still, and from that, and continuous. No matter you know all the things that happen, I think women will save the world. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so too. So, ah, thank you for being on. So, thank you for having me. Absolutely. What a delight. And uh, yeah, everybody, there'll be all kinds of great information in the show notes. Um, and uh, we will have you be able to connect and uh, make sure about uh, that wonderful offer uh, for our listeners as well. I so appreciate that. Thank you for sharing your story and um, all the brilliant things that you do in the world and how many people you help. And thank you so much. It's great. No problem. So if, I know you'll have my email down there, but if people want to email me at Tammy at drtammynelson.com, I'll send them a free gift. Just tell them, tell me that, you know, they met me through you. Yeah. Okay. Sounds wonderful. Absolutely. Thank you, okay. Dr. Tammy Nelson. PhD. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, you bet. It's so good. So everybody, thank you so much for joining us again. That's another episode of the Mavens Do It Better podcast. And here's to another big, beautiful day on this blue spinning sphere. The original music on this podcast was created by Jesse Case.